So, uh, this morning, uh, we are looking at uh, the final part of Mark chapter 16, and looking at um, the, the final part of this sermon series. Uh, and, and I'm excited about what we've done and where we have come. And it's been, um, you know, the last 10, mi- 10 months, 11 months, we have been looking at uh, the gospel uh, of Mark. And we've really been studying Jesus' life and, and where exactly he has went in his life. And it's been awesome to follow along with him, seeing J- Jesus constantly in motion. And as we come to the very end, uh, over the last several weeks, we have looked at the final uh, death, burial, and now the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus is going to talk to his disciples. And I don't know about you, but if you have children or if you have husbands, um, they have selective hearing, right? Teresa, just this last week, we were driving home this last week from the church, and as we're driving home, uh, I think it was Sunday night after the Rise Against Hunger, we're driving home, and and she says, you know, sometimes I just don't think you hear me. I said, what? She goes, sometimes I just don't think you hear me. I got her twice in less than 60 minutes, and there's a reason that my truck says sarcasm. Um, So uh, some of you see my license plate, and you're like, serving kingdom, serve, no, it just says sarcasm, I'm sorry. Um, So Jesus was sarcastic um, in many ways, and there's several of those that you just look at Jesus, and you read what Jesus says, and he he just wants to go, really, Peter, you didn't get it? You know, there's many of those cases. Um, Even God does the same exact thing. But, you know, we, as as husbands, and again, I can speak for myself, I have selective hearing. An older couple was sitting outside in the rocking chairs one afternoon, and she looked at her husband of 60 years, and she says, you know, I'm proud of you. He turned and looked at her and says, you know, I'm getting tired of you too. (laughs) She she looked back and said, thanks. She looked and said, hey, the trees are moving. It's windy today. No, it's Thursday. She said, me too. Let's go get some lemonade. (laughs) Hopefully, uh, we won't be as hard of hearing as when we look at the word of God today, but we see God working. We see Jesus working, and there's times that I really think he wanted to look at his children in many ways, his, his, his disciples, and he just wanted to look at them and say, do you really not get it? Have you not been paying attention for the last three and a half years? I mean, these guys were the closest ones. So li- listen, if there's ever a point in your life where you're like, I just don't know if God could actually use me or not. Uh, I, I don't think that I get it. I don't think that I'm hearing him all the time. The guys that walked the closest with Jesus didn't always get it. Just understand that. The guys that were the closest with him, and, and listen, we've talked about, he had all kinds of followers. Thousands of people followed Jesus and wanted to hear him preach. He had the 500 disciples, he had the 72 disciples, he had the 12 disciples, but even out of that group, he had three, and then he even had one-on-one conversations, and even those didn't fully get what he was trying to do. And that's really what we're going to see here this morning, and as we've walked through all of this section of scripture, that's what I want to make sure that you understand. When Jesus says it, he means it, whether you believe it or not. When Jesus tells us to go, when Jesus rises from the grave and he says go, 
Whether we believe it or not, we have been called to go, and we need to do it. And so that's what we, under, we need to understand today. Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen? Jesus is alive, and we need to go with the gospel that he has given to us. Now, when we come to Mark chapter 16, as all of this is coming to an end, sometimes we make the mistake of only talking about the resurrection on Easter Sunday. We go to Mark chapter 16, we go to Matthew 26 through, through 28, and we only look at these sections of Scripture during one course of the year. But here's the thing, what we need to understand is every single Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And we need to make sure that we are constantly understanding what it is that He has done for us. He's alive, and it doesn't matter whether you believe Him or not. He is alive. So in this message, we're going to hear the announcement of the angel. We're going to consider the unbelief of the disciples. And then we're going to hear Jesus give our final marching orders. So let's dig in and let's start with the announcement that is given. So as we left off last week at the end of, of Mark chapter 15, J uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and the ladies were there and they have buried Jesus. They have, they have wrapped him. They have used the 75 pounds of spices that Nicodemus has brought. They put the stone in and they went home. And now they're going to go back after the Sabbath. So on Sunday morning, they're going to go back there. And this is what we read starting in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for, uh, for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples, I love this, remember, go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter had had a really hard time, right? Peter had denied Jesus three times. Peter looked up, and he, after, he had, after he had denied Jesus for the third time, he looks up, he sees Jesus, the rooster crows, and he goes away sad. I can't believe that I did this, I think Peter says. But in this moment, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now here's the thing. These are the, these are the, this is Mary and Salome. These are the first two. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome. They went away. They were afraid. They didn't know exactly what to do. But at the same time, we need to admire these three women that go, right? They follow Jesus. And what we need to know is while the guys, where were they at? They were all hiding, except for one of the disciples, John. All of the others, the other 10, are hiding. All of the other disciples, the 500 disciples, the 72 disciples, the 10 that were there, they were all in hiding at this moment. But where are the ladies? They were at the cross. Where were the ladies? They were in the garden when Jesus is going to be laid to rest. 
they knew the tomb. We talked about this last week. Some people say, oh, the, the, the disciples, they just went to the wrong tomb. The Marys, they went to the wrong tomb. They saw the exact tomb that Jesus was in. They knew where they were going. The seal would have been upon the tomb that the Romans would have placed there. And now on Sunday morning, they're the first ones that are heading back to the tomb. They were carrying additional spices to anoint the corpse of Christ. Now, their biggest concern, they didn't really think about this before, but now they're on their way. What's their biggest concern? Yeah, how are we going to get in there? I, somewhere between two and four tons is the size of this stone. How in the world are we going to move this? We can't do it ourselves because it would have been up on a slope and it would have been just rolled down into place. How are we going to get in? That was their biggest concern. They weren't concerned about the Roman guards. That's not what we read. They weren't concerned about being put into prison for going to see Jesus. They were concerned of how they were going to get inside. And what happens when they get there? Stones rolled away. And when they walk in, the strips of linen are laid there. When they walk in, there's this little guy that's sitting there where the head of Jesus would have been. This would have been an angel that was there. And they were confused, right? Probably terrified of what they're seeing. Verse 6, And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Then the angel gave them two sets of instructions. These are the same instructions that we are called to follow today. The first one that he says is, come and see. See the place where they have laid him. This angel invited them to come in and to examine the tomb. Come in and see for yourself. See the evidence or the lack thereof of the evidence. He is not here anymore. The tomb was empty but it is completely full of significance. In John's account, the, the, the strips of, of cloth are there that covered the body of Jesus, along with the sheet that was covering his face. These, woman, these women would have been wondering, is this all a dream? Could this actually be real? These women were there. These women were at the crucifixion of Jesus. They saw the pain that he went through. They saw the spear go inside of him. They knew that Jesus was dead. But here they're confronted with the empty tomb. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says that Jesus offered the disciples more convincing proofs that he was alive. If you're going to examine the evidence of the resurrection, you need to start with the empty tomb. Even the enemies of Jesus, we need to know this, none of the enemies of Jesus ever admitted that the tomb um, was empty. Even the, I'm sorry, even the, sorry I said that wrong, even the enemies of Jesus admitted that the tomb was empty. They knew that it was empty. Now, if this is the case, if the tomb is empty, we're really confronted with really only three possibilities. The first one is that he really didn't die. We talked a lot about that last week, right? All of the proof is there that Jesus was dead. The disciples saw it. The women, they saw it. Well, we really don't want to count them because they were close to Jesus, right? The, the centurion that was in charge said he came and gave evidence 
to Pilate that Jesus was dead. And what was the verse that we read last week? We don't like to say it, but Pontius Pilate gave the corpse of Jesus to Joseph. Jesus was dead. So either he really didn't die. Secondly, the body was was stolen. Again, the disciples are scared to death, right? Who's going to take the body? And they had to go to get past the Roman guards in order to steal the body. They had to move the stone in the middle of the night. Now, if you try to open a door in the middle of the night in your own house, it makes a noise and it wakes everyone up in the house. Could you imagine trying to move a two-ton stone or a four-ton stone? It really isn't going to happen quietly. So the body wasn't stolen. because, And if it was his enemies, they didn't want Jesus to be alive, right? If the Romans stole the body of Jesus... And then all of a sudden, Christianity just explodes. If the Jewish council steals the body of Jesus, and all of a sudden, Christianity explodes, and they're talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and oh my goodness, all they would have had to done is go, he's right here, hello. No, we moved him to this tomb. He's dead. But that didn't happen. Or there's a third option. He is the son of the living God, and he resurrected those are our three options so if this is the case first the angel says come and see and then what does he say i want you to go i want you to go and tell go tell his disciples and peter that he is going before you to galilee there you will see him just as he told you however i want you to notice their reaction look at verse 8 And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They had just encountered an angel. They encountered the empty tomb. They really didn't know what to think of all of this that is happening. They're in absolute utter shock. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to say. But a little while later, in verse 9, we're going to get to that here in just a second. In verse 9, Jesus himself is going to appear to Mary Magdalene. And when he appears to Mary Magdalene, she's the one that is going to deliver the message. Look at verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. Now we've been given this very same command our command is first come and see see that he is alive he is not here the tomb is empty and number two we're told to go and to tell that is what we have been called to do now some of you are afraid to talk you're afraid to tell because if you go like those other two women if you're like um, mary and, and salome you're like but what if i get it wrong but but Maybe you're afraid that somebody's going to ask you questions that you don't know the answers to. I've told you time and time again, and and listen, I want you to understand, the best way that you can share the gospel of Jesus is by telling your story. How did you come to know Jesus? How has he changed your life? And then just tell them, come and see. 
Come and see. Come on Sunday morning. Come and join us to, to be a part of Rise Against Comer, Rise Against Hunger. Come and see what is, is going on in our church, how we're affecting the community. You will see a body of believers that have come together. And as they come and see, they will witness and they will hear and they will be, con- excuse me, they will be convicted as well. The best tool is just to use your personal faith story. Just tell people naturally what the risen Lord has done in your life. The second thing that we see is the disciples, they they doubted these reports. So while all of this is happening, the, the Marys have went... Okay, Mary Magdalene stays behind. She's actually going to to see Jesus face to face and to talk with him. And the other disciples, they they don't want to believe these reports. So the 11, they're behind closed doors. They're still weeping. They're still mourning. But Mary comes running in. And Mary bursts through the door and she says, Hey, guess what? You won't believe this, but Jesus is alive. They didn't want to believe it. Now, there were two of them that did, right? Because when Mary came in and said, hey, Peter, guess what? Jesus is alive. Those two, Peter and John, go running out. And I love, if you read John's account, John loves to talk about how he was the youngest one because he was faster than Peter. That's how we know that he was younger. And he flies out the door and they both go running and they get there. John stops at the outside of the tomb, though, right? But Peter, he just flies right by him. And he goes in because he needs to see whether it's true or not. And he goes and he sees what's happening. But even then, they're astonished and and they come back. And they just continue to be together, kind of in hiding. So Mary comes back. She tells them they take off. But then Mark Mark mentions that a a little later there were two men that they were traveling down the road um, and Jesus kind of just appears to these two men. We know this story is the walk to Emmaus, right? And these these two guys are are walking along. In Luke chapter 24, we read the the story of Jesus appearing to these two disciples. They're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about 11 miles. They didn't really recognize Jesus. I would have loved to have been on that original walk with with Jesus and those two disciples to imagine what they went through and what they experienced in those moments. Now, there is something called the the road to Emmaus. If that's something that you could be interested in, Dan C., and I'm looking for him, he's not in here. Um, If you are interested in uh, the walk to Emmaus, um, and, and it's not an 11-mile walk, okay? So some people are like, do I really have to walk 11 miles? No. Um, you walk, uh, these are Dan's words. He's very into it. He says, you walk to and from the dinner table. Um, I was told they feed you extremely well there. But uh, the, the road to Emmaus is a weekend long and that you just get to spend time alone with other men. Um, they actually have a women's one as well, and the women get to walk um, as well, and it just brings you closer to Jesus, um, and you get to just understand more about who Jesus is, and if that's something that you would be interested in, um, Dan sees one of our elders, um, uh, you can talk to me, and I'll get you directly plugged in uh, with Dan, and, and he would love to talk to you about that, and Jesus, he's walking on the road to Emmaus. He's going with these other two disciples, 
and he starts in Genesis, right? He starts with Moses, and he tells about all of the prophets. There he is. There's Dan. So if you were interested in the road to Emmaus, that's the guy that you want to talk to. Um, he would love uh, to, to help you uh, be a part of that. And again, men or women um, can, can, can do that. Um, but Jesus goes through the Old Testament. And he talks about the prophecies. And he talks about what had to happen to the Messiah. How he had to suffer and how he uh, had to die. Finally, the 11 mile journey is over. And they say, hey, why don't you come in with us? Jesus was going to, he acted like he was going to go further. But they said, no, 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 come, come have dinner with us. Come have dinner with us. Now, Jesus is the guest in this home, right? What I love about this is Jesus actually becomes the host. Because what we read there is that he breaks the bread. Their eyes were open and they recognized that it was Jesus. And then what? Poof. <laughs> Gone. Jesus is gone from their sights. They were so excited, they make the 11-mile trip back to Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing. I think on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it was just kind of a nice, slow walk. But then it became the Marine Corps Marathon. Because they had to get back as fast as they possibly could. Because they had to tell all of those disciples. They had to say, hey, guess what? Guess who we just saw? Guess who we spent time with? Guess who we had dinner with? Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever met a celebrity, you can't wait to tell everyone. The disciples, are the, these two guys are the same way. They can't wait to get back. And, and I, again, I just think they, they just have to go to Peter. Peter, 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 guess what? And while all of this is happening, there's Mary Magdalene. Told you. I don't know why you guys wouldn't believe me. You know, Luke chapter 24, verses 33 through 35. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. I think that they were out of breath trying to tell this story. I think they couldn't wait to get back there. They were so excited. They had to go and tell. Look at verse 40 or verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, "Peace be with you." He shows up. He is in their presence. Of course, Jesus is aware of everything that is going on. He's aware that they're still denying. They're still not really for sure. The disciples have come back. Mary has come back. Jesus has seen, or Peter has seen the empty tomb. He has seen Jesus. We want to pick on, we, we, we want to pick on Thomas, right? Unless I see and I touch, then I'll believe. These guys were just like Thomas. They didn't fully believe until Jesus stood before them. So quit picking on Thomas. Because all of us have been there at one point or another. We've been just like the eleven. We've been just like Mary and Salome. And I'm sure when all of this was happening... I'm, I'm sure that Peter and the other ones kind of backtracked their story. Oh, I know we really did believe Jesus. Oh, 
but they met Jesus. Here's the thing. The empty t- and if you ever go to Jerusalem, you can go in t- inside of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and you can go around. They've built kind of a, a small um, museum box around what they believe is the original tomb. You can go to the garden tomb and you can see where there are certain people that believe that that's where Jesus was, was at. Ultimately, the empty tomb is very, very important to us. But ultimately, it is your one-on-one encounter, encounter with Jesus that is what sets you apart from everyone else. Jesus has met you. You have met Jesus. And your story is going to be different from someone else's story. That's why you're called to share your story. Whether you've just always attended church, and, and there's some people that, why well, don't I have a story to tell? I've just always been in church, and then all of a sudden I was like, yeah, I need to give my life to Jesus, and I just kept coming to church. Then you tell that. I was in the middle of Iraq, and I was in a foxhole, and bullets were flying over my head, and I was like, yeah, I need Jesus. And that's where you met Jesus. I was sitting in a bar and I was drinking in the middle of my last drink. All of a sudden, I realized that this was not what life was about. And I realized that I needed something more. I was in the middle of an affair. And while I was in the middle of an affair, Jesus spoke to me. And I realized I shouldn't be doing this any longer. And whatever your story is, it is yours to tell. And it is yours to share. Do not keep it to yourself. Because here's the thing, someone else might be going through exactly what you're going through, and you need to share it. Because you may help someone else in their walk with Jesus. You need you sharing your story. And others need to hear your story as well. The best proof, the best proof of the resurrection is when you meet Jesus. We, we, can, we can also look at this guy named Paul. He was Saul. He was persecuting Christians. He had heard about Jesus, right? He had heard all of the things, and there was all kinds of proof out there, right? But none of that proof meant anything. He was killing Christians. He had more letters to go kill more Christians, to lock up more Christians. And what happens in that moment? He met Jesus. He was on the road to Damascus, and he meets Jesus. And when he meets Jesus, at that moment, that's when everything changed. And that's what we have to always remember. Now, later, post-resurrection, Paul was going to give an account of when he met Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 4 through 10, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive. Hey, if you want proof, they're still alive and you can still go find them in Jerusalem and in Israel. If you need proof that he appeared, you can go talk to them. He's not trying to hide it one bit, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me 
in this moment, we get a reverse um, salvation testimony from the Apostle Paul. He's met Jesus, right? He has seen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And what exactly does Paul say about himself? He says, for I am the least of the apostles. Later on, he's going to call himself the least of sinners, that are the, the, the most uh, of sinners. And then he's going to say that I'm the chief of sinners. Reverse testimony. None of us go, yeah, I'm worse than I started. No, we don't want to do that. We want to say, yeah, I'm getting better. Yeah, I'm getting better. But here's the thing. What the Apostle Paul understood as the closer you become to Jesus, the further away from him you realize you actually are. Because none of us are perfect. All of us fall short of the glory of God, Paul says. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, here's the thing, Oh, I'm not worthy. I could never be this. He could never use me. What's he say? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Travis, you don't know what I've done. Travis, you don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know what I've been through. That Jesus could never forgive me. This guy right here was killing Christians. This guy was trying to, to snuff out Christianity. And God says, I used him. And if he can use a guy like Paul, he can use a, a, a lady or a man just like you. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what your background is. He can and he will use you if you will just allow him to do so. His grace toward you is not in vain. Always remember that. Paul had heard all of the arguments, but he didn't believe it. But when he met Jesus, he believed in him. Salvation isn't knowing about Jesus. It is knowing Jesus. And that brings us to our final point. Jesus gave us a job to do. Every single one of us. Jesus gave us a job to do. In the final words of, of Mark's writings, he, he packs the Great Commission God's promise of protection and the ascension all together. Jesus has given us three tasks to do. Look at verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world. Go. It's up to you to go into all the world. Proclaim the gospel to all of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And what does he say? He says, tell everyone the good news about me. It's time for you to go. Matthew 24, verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It's time for you to go. It's a time for you to share the gospel message with everyone that you come in contact with. And here's the thing, he will equip you. He will equip you and he will empower you. In Luke 24, verse 49, Jesus said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high. It's a dangerous plan to start driving your car across the desert if you only have a quarter of a tank of gas, right? Yeah, not something that we all just want to do. We wouldn't make it. And it's frustrating trying to serve the Lord if we don't have the Holy Spirit inside of us. 
if the disciples had immediately gone out and started sharing, they would have failed. But they waited for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And when you give your life over to Him, you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life, and He is ready to work on you and to help you out. On the day of Pentecost, they were empowered, they were equipped. Thousands were saved. Thousands were added to the number that day. And we're the same. We should always be praying for the Holy Spirit to continually fill our lives. Please point out my wrongs. Please help me get stronger. Please help me read and understand your word better. And when I read it, help me to actually understand it. I read through the Bible and I did it an entire week. Did you understand it? You know, you can read the same verse for an entire week, for an entire month, and it will continue to speak to you if you will just let it. So he tells us it's time for us to go. Tell the good news about me, and I'll equip you. I'll empower you. And then finally, I will protect you until your assignment is finished. Look at verses 17 and 18. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up servants with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Now, if you've ever been into real Appalachia, you will find there's a group of churches, really in the most part, in that kind of West Virginia, Eastern Kentucky area that love to handle poisonous snakes. No ropes. I want nothing to do with them. I don't go into those churches. I want nothing to do with all of that. And, and I've had people ask me, well, what do I think about, you know, churches that handle snakes? Uh, well, well, a lot of them are dead. Okay, you didn't find that funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> Indeed, dozens of them have died. I suppose because of their faith, it, it wasn't strong enough. And we say all of these kinds of things. And people say, well, but what if they're doing it sincerely? I say they're sincerely wrong. But in all of that, listen, the point, and I was trying to make a joke about it, but seriously, it wasn't about trying to prove your faith by grabbing a hold of, of, of a snake or drinking deadly poison. What it really comes down to is what happens to the Apostle Paul. And in Acts chapter 28, he was shipwrecked. And as they were trying to build a fire, a viper reaches out and it grabs a hold of his hand. And what does he do with it? Shook it off. Throws it in the fire. It burns up. And it dies. That's what it's about. That you will be protected. And here's the thing. He got to share a witness because of that account. Okay? It's not about going and saying, hey, let's grab a snake and bring it in. Listen, as I've been cutting those trees out there... I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is upon me and he has brought me through. But I'll tell you what, there's some big spiders out there. A lot of dead spiders out there now. And thankfully, I haven't seen a snake because I'd burn the whole trees down. Okay? But let me tell you, I, if I were to see a snake, I wouldn't go, oh, look, and I'd pick it up because the Lord pr would protect me. No! Don't tempt the Lord. Don't test the Lord. Don't put your Lord God to the test. But here's the thing. Could he, if that snake reached out and bit me, could he protect me? Absolutely. Well, Travis, what about all of the people that have been killed? 
What, what about all of the people that haven't been, been healed? What, what about all of this? It could be that their time was just up. But here's the thing. We are called to live on mission, whether he protects us at that moment or not. We've been called to go and to tell. We have been called to go and to share the gospel message with everyone that we come in contact with. Is there going to be fear there? Absolutely. But we go and we share the gospel message anyways. And it could be that our death in those circumstances, because here's the thing, we have many missionaries that have lost their lives. But because they have lost their lives, great things have happened because of their lives being lost. But there's also been times where they have been able to come out of that unscathed and that has also advanced the gospel of Jesus Christ. What it all comes down to, and I want last last scripture I want to share with you, Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 3. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And though the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God. He, uh, he, Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba in exchange for you. We can think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't bend their knee. They were told that they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. I think that there was a little bit of fear when they were going to go into there. Because they didn't know what was going to happen. As far as they knew, they were going to be thrown into the furnace and they were going to die. Jesus didn't pull them out of the fire, did he? Where was Jesus? He was in the fire. And that's where your Lord is with you right now. He's in the fire with you. And he wants to bring you through it. And he wants to help you through it. So here's the thing. As we wrap up this section of Mark, Jesus has been in forward motion, but now it's up to us. It's up to me and it's up to you to go share the gospel message. It's up to us to be in forward motion, to always be looking for the next person that we can share the gospel message with. It's up to us of what we will do with it. So if you're here this morning and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the first time, I want you to know that you can do that. You can accept him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're at a point in your life where, where it's time for a change. You've given your life over to him and, and you've just been kind of coming to the church, but it's time to step it up. It's time to do a little bit more. And you need to, you, you need to recommit. You need to get in, involved in, in, in Bible study, men's Bible study, women's Bible study, Sunday school for couples. Uh, we have life groups that are going again. It, it, you need to find a way for you to plug in, to be a part of men's fellowship. You need to step it up just a little bit more. And you say, hey, Travis, I need to know more about what, what, what's this road to Emmaus that you're talking about? Whatever it is that you need to do, today can be the commitment that you make to start fresh, to start anew, to get back on the right path, to say, I want to serve right here at Stafford County Christian Church. Whatever decision you have to make, we're going to continue our worship through praise. 
but we're also going to take communion at this time as well. And it's on the back, it's on the sides. There's some up front here. I want you to really, really just allow what Jesus has done for you to sink in. He went to the cross for you. Jesus went to the cross for your sins. We're going to pray and then we're going to take that time just to go get our communion and take it to really reflect on what Jesus has done in our lives. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I thank you so much for allowing us to worship you. Father, you have been in forward motion for thousands of years. You have put all of this into place that came up to the time of your son's death, burial, and resurrection. And you've continued to move in the lives of believers this entire time for the last 2,000 years. And you're now telling us it's our turn to be your hands and feet and to go and to share and to tell it to all of those people that we come in contact with. And so, Father, as we partake of communion, as we think about what you are going to do in our lives, but not just think about it, but to start to do it. Lord, allow this to be our first step in that motion to be who you have called us to be. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you.